Father, come and speak to your servants, please, for we are listening and we want to hear from you. So shape us according to your will. Give us hearts of joy and satisfaction in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Deuteronomy 14, we're continuing through Deuteronomy and we're, we're going to keep sort of taking key uh, themes and passages up until the end. And today we're on this theme of tithing or um, giving, in a sense. Uh, money has this incredible ability to influence us, to influence our emotions. It can drive our anxiety levels through the roof when we don't have a lot of it. Or if we just so happen to be blessed, maybe one of you has a secret life and you're very wealthy that I don't know about. If you've ever come across a lot of money, uh, it can create a lot of greed. It can create a lot of um, materialistic, self-seeking pleasure when you have a lot of it. It can break tightly bound relationships. If money has ever come between you and a, a good friend or a family member, it makes things very awkward. And God's desire for us, for those who are following Jesus, is that money would not have this hold over us, that money would not influence us in that way. His desire is that we would have a take it or leave it approach to money. Because our treasure would not be in that. Like Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon as both money, but also possessions. We can only serve one. And his desire is that we would so serve him that we have a take it or leave it approach to money. And God has instituted practical means for us to have this reiterated to ourselves again and again by what he tells us to do with our money. So what God tells us to do with our money is actually him bringing us into practices which reiterate the reality to us that we should have a take it or leave it approach to money because our satisfaction is not in money. It is in the God who is above money, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who is sovereign over everything. And in the Old Testament, this practice is where tithing comes in. Tithing simply means giving a tenth. So the word comes from the Hebrew word for 10. And it's, it's literally giving a tenth of your resources or really of anything. A tithe is just taking a tenth of something. And throughout the Old Testament, and particularly the, the Torah, which when uh, Torah is often used, it means law, but sometimes it can refer to the first five books of the Bible, where you get a lot of God's law, where you mostly get God's instruction. And Throughout the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we have a few passages. There's really not that many. There's only five passages that talk about tithing um, all throughout the Torah. And then even after in the Old Testament, there's really a few historical references, but it's not really a big theme. But in these five passages, we then get this picture of three particular tithes that were instituted for the people of Israel to give. So there was firstly the annual tithe, the Levite tithe. It was basically where everyone in all of the tribes of Israel uh, would take a tenth of their 
produce of their resources and give them to the Levitical tribe, which was mostly the priests, because the tribe of Levi didn't have any land. And if you didn't have any land in the ancient Near East, you were practically helpless. You relied upon other people to basically provide for you. And so God had said that all of the other tribes, all of the people of Israel were to give a tenth of their produce every year to give to the tribe of Levi. And then the tribe of Levi would distribute so that everyone in the Levitical tribe would be cared for. That was the first tithe. Then there was this second tithe, which was the festival tithe, which is what we read about here in the first part of our passage. Uh, so we'll unpack that a bit more as we go on. There's the festival tithe. The third tithe is this vulnerable people's tithe, which we also have in this passage in the second half, which is where God specifically says, you are to every three years, take a tenth of your resources and give them so that the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, these people who also didn't have any land would be cared for. And these are the three tithes that the people of Israel have. So there's two annual tithes and then there's also a three, uh, one every three years. So really, when we think of tithing, we think of 10%. But for the people of Israel, they were actually giving 23.3333 and so on percent of their resources because you had the two lots of 10% every year and then every third year you had another lot of 10%. So it's almost a quarter of their resources was given as part of this process of tithing. Now, this passage here in chapter 14 talks about two of those tithes. So the festival tithe and then the vulnerable people's tithe. And what I want us to see today is God's purpose in giving. God's purpose in the tithe. It's not... I'm aware that some people like me, if you've ever been in some sort of prosperity bent church, you have like the idea of tithing makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You're worried that, you know, the preacher is really going to be digging for your wallets now. It's not that what I'm trying to do is show God's purpose in giving, why he actually institutes the tithe, because it's not as if God needs the money. He owns everything. The money is unimportant to him. There is a greater purpose in this. So if we look from verses 22 to 26 in Deuteronomy 14, we read about God's purpose in this festive tithe. And here, follow along with me. God instructs the people to take a tenth of all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord, your God, you are to eat. They eat the tenth. So they eat the tenth of their tithe. This is all about joyful worship. And we don't often think of uh, worship, uh, sorry, we don't often think of tithing as joyful and rejoicing worship. We usually think of it, like I said, as the preacher kind of trying to uh, sort of dig to the core of your hearts with a pity story to then kind of get you to give as much as possible. Or some people think of tithing as giving uh, a, an amount so that you then somehow reap some you know, double portion, some huge blessings, you can get a bigger mansion. That's not the purpose here. Uh, look at God's purpose in instituting this tithe for the people. So they had to take a tenth of their produce and they had to bring it before the Lord in the place where he would choose to make his name dwell. Now, the NIV, another Bible translation, 
translates the start of verse 23 as in the presence of the Lord. So they are to take the tithe and then in the presence of the Lord, they are to engage in this joyful feast. It's the same idea as before the Lord, but I think in the presence of the Lord carries this idea of not simply before someone, but actually in his presence. And God wants the people to come into his presence before him and engage in this intimate feast. And in this place of his presence, there is to be joyful worship in this intimate feast. And this description reveals something to us about God's character and his desire for us in actually requiring the giving. So notice that this tithe has nothing to do with supply issues. It's not like this tithe, the 10% of their resources, which would have been a huge amount for all these people. It's not like this tithe is then given to people who are in need. We do have another tithe for that. It's not like uh, there's sort of people who are going hungry and he wants to then provide the food. It's purely so that they would engage in this intimate feast where they would eat the tithe. And you can imagine pragmatic, business-minded people in Israel kind of saying, what are we doing? We don't need to eat this much. Why don't we take the tenth of this and invest it somewhere or sell the money to some foreign nation, invest that money, and then in the end, we'll have triple the amount. Why are we just wasting it by eating and having this picnic? But that wasn't the point. They had to take their tenth and they had to enjoy this beautiful meal before the Lord. He says, come and dine with me. Come and enter into my presence and enjoy this beautiful feast. Now, what does this tell us about God's purpose in giving? God is not simply interested in his people giving away their money. This tithe isn't simply sacrifice for sacrifice sake. It's not simply God asking to sacrifice something just because he can. It's also not simply a social welfare system, though we will see aspects of that later. This isn't about that. It has nothing to do with that. The heart of the matter here is the matter of our hearts. That's the heart of the matter. God's purpose in calling the people to set apart a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their earnings and engage in this joyful time of worship is so that the people would realize that God is after their hearts, that he wants them to enjoy his presence. He wants them to come to this place where he chooses to make his name dwell. He doesn't tell them to go off anywhere and have a picnic. It's in his presence where they engage in this joyful feast. God, if he wanted to, could have simply mandated this impersonal taxation process for the people where you sort of get these leaders to come and take your tenth, that gets taken off, it gets distributed along, you never have this sense of God's presence, sort of like if they had an e-tax system for tithes. It wasn't anything like that. He wanted them to actually come into his presence and engage in this joyful place of intimacy and pleasure. There was nothing impersonal about it. God's purpose in giving, in a way, has nothing to do with the physical thing we are giving. In a sense, it has nothing to do with the numerical amount that we give. It is totally to do with the heart 
behind it and God wants our hearts to be given totally to him. What God most desires in this is that we would most desire him, that we would most treasure him. And so he asks the people to come and enter into this place of pure joy. I mean, feasts in ancient Israel were a place of, of intimacy, of genuine fellowship. So through giving, we reaffirm to ourselves and to the Lord that our treasure is not in possessions, but is solely in Christ, our Savior. Give me Christ or else I die, as we sung. And the practice of giving is meant to reiterate that to us. This is why God desires to take what is extremely valuable to them. I mean, a tenth of your earnings is like, a, it's not an insignificant amount. And so he desires them to take what is valuable to them and not use it for profit or to store it away, but to consume in his presence with joy since he is the entire goal of all life and everything. He is the goal. And so he wants our hearts to be given totally to him. And just look at verse 26. To highlight this even more, God explains if there is a situation where someone has been blessed so much, that they have so much, in fact, too much to bring, it would be unreasonable for them to be able to bring it to this place. And he says, sell it where you are, take the money, go to the place where I choose to make my name dwell. So still go to that place. And then look at the language. He says, spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever you want, spend it on and then rejoice before the Lord. Have this beautiful feast before me. That's the purpose of the tithe is, to, is so that we would see that he is our treasure, that he desires us to desire him totally. And so giving is to be done joyfully because it's pointing us to the one in whom is the fullness of joy. And that's the picture that we get here in the tithe in Israel. So this is part of God's purpose in giving. The act is there to shape us in our desire of him so that we would not desire possessions or money, but that we would be totally raptured, enraptured with uh, Christ, our savior, this great God of Israel. Now, there is another way that tithing was to shape the people. And it's right sandwiched here in the middle of this in verse 23. After God explains this, he says, you do this. So you take the, um, your tenth and you take it to the place where I will choose my name to dwell and you will consume it. And he says at the end of verse 23, so that you may fear the Lord your God always. The people are to engage in this act of devotion, giving a substantial amount of their resources so that they may fear God always. How does this act of tithing cause us to fear God? Well, obviously for the Israelites, it, uh, to give a tenth of their produce, it would have required a lot of trust in the Lord. Imagine if it was a bad year for their harvest. And every bit was precious. Like if you don't have a job or you're struggling with money, every bit is precious. And it requires trust in the Lord to take him at his word and still abide by this. 
law of tithing. You could imagine some people who did have a bad year in Israel and kind of saying, hey, how about we just skip this year's tithe because we really need this. We really need our grain. We need it all this year. And then next year, when we have more, we'll do a double tithe or something like that. You could sort of imagine the logic in that, but actually, no, this God requires them to do this every year to trust just like when he provided manna for the people in Israel and so that they would not do any work on the Sabbath, he said, don't pick any more than you need to or if you do, like don't store this up, don't store it up because I'll just make it go moldy. You have to trust that every day I will provide for you. And that's the idea here. See, if you're picking and choosing where to take God at his word, then there is no fear of God. If you're picking and choosing when you're going to be obedient to the Lord, when you're going to act, when you're going to actually have these practices of devotion and this regular act of giving, if you're picking and choosing in that way, then there is no fear of God. There's no fear of God in a life that irreverently treats God like a salad bar. We take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then we leave the rest. There's no fear of God in that life. But the regular act of setting apart the best of our resources, the regular act of setting apart the best of our resources for the Lord constantly reminds us where our trust lies. It constantly reminds us that He will provide for us and therefore it shapes us in a right and proper fear of the Lord because we're not treating Him like a salad bar. Remember... A few weeks ago, I went over uh, God's prescribed pattern of worship. And a part of that that we see in Deuteronomy 12 is that it's actually costly. It's costly to worship the Lord rightly. And that cost actually demonstrates our devotion because there's many things that we could do that don't cost us anything. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're loyal or we're devoted to it. But really, when the cost comes, we bounce. So the cost actually demonstrates a devotion. And again, we see here the costly act of tithing shapes us in proper worship because it forces us to trust in the Lord. It actually forces us to take God at his word, to trust that he will provide. According to his riches in Christ Jesus, he will provide all that we need. It would require no faith at all to be in a practice of giving if you had an abundant cash flow. That doesn't take faith. It takes a lot of faith to continue to give when you're not sure when your next paycheck is coming in or when you're living week by week. That requires trust. Now, if we look at the last half from verse 27, so we've gone over this festival tithe and we've seen that the point of the festival tithe was really so that it would shape the people's hearts so they would see that what God most desires of them is that they would most desire Him and that it would demonstrate a trust, that it would shape them in joy and it would shape them in fear because they would demonstrate their trust in the Lord and so fear God and take Him at His word. And then the second tithe we see here is this different tithe where it's once every three years. And from verse 27, uh, we read about the welfare side of God's commands in tithing. So he reminds them not to forget the Levites. And if you want to look at Numbers 18, that details this tithe given to the Levites. Uh, 
But here, we have a different tithe. We have this one every three years, and it's specifically for those who are most vulnerable in the community of Israel. So for orphans and widows and even foreigners, people not part of the community of Israel, who have come in and they don't have substantial resources. And so God demonstrates his character in actually caring for the most vulnerable of society. So just like the first tithe, the festival tithe reveals God's character where he actually desires us, not simply to be giving money, as though he's some CEO, but actually that we would desire him, that there would be joy in our worship. And here, this tithe reveals God's character, that he has a particular concern for the most vulnerable of society, that he is a God of justice and wants those who are unable to take care of themselves, to be taken care of by those in the community of his people. So if we are to rightly reflect God's character in our lives now, based off this tithe, then we ought to be in practices which reflect this kind of character, which, which do uh, render true justice as God always, through the Old Testament, a huge theme, Isaiah 58, Zechariah 7, all these things where God rebukes his people and says, hey, you're not acting justly. The poor are getting even poorer. The rich are getting richer. There's no justice here. You are to provide for the weak. If there's an orphan or a widow, these people that I care about, you should be caring for them because you as a people should be reflecting my character. That's what God is saying. So we likewise from this should be uh, reflecting God's character. Now, I'm aware of the complexities of justice and the term social justice and all of how that's sort of been hijacked i think the simple point is that it's undeniable that we as god's people are to reflect this type of care and concern for the weak of society and you cannot ignore that in scripture you have to read it with a blindfold on to ignore that it's clear that god desires uh his people to demonstrate this concern. So, from this, we see God's purpose in our giving. We see that we are to worship joyfully in His presence in order to ultimately give our hearts to the Lord. And that there should also be practices in the community of God's people, in our community, that reflect God's care and concern for the most vulnerable. And I think scripture does make it clear as well that there is a particular priority given to those within the community. So there's a particular priority given to those within the church um, over sort of churches becoming some sort of social welfare system for the rest of the world when there are already people doing this. I think the priority is for those within the church, but there is still a call for us to be reflecting care and concern for everyone since all are made in the image of God. And all bear his image and he calls us to care for them just like the parable of the good samaritan now the big question what about today under the new covenant do we still tithe is there still this legal requirement to tithe i don't believe there is a legal requirement to tithe for god's people but i do believe there is an expectation for god's people to give generously so I don't believe that there is the same tenth, literal tenth, as opposed to if you want to give 
20%, 1%. The amount is no longer so important because we see the picture in this is really for our hearts. So I don't believe because it's never uh, reiterated in the New Testament as a command that there is a requirement to specifically give a tenth. But I do believe that we are to have the same practices of storing up week by week our resources. Now, that is done for us anyway by our pay coming into a bank. So we're not really harvesting unless you're a farmer and that's your source of income. That's already done for us. I do believe there are these same practices of storing up resources and then giving to the community of God's people. So 1 Corinthians 16, we read of Paul instructing the Corinthians as he did to the churches in Galatia as well, saying every week you are to store up. He actually says on the first day of the week, you are to store up, put something aside. And he's doing that so that a collection can be made for the Jerusalem church, for those who are in need. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, we read the example of the Macedonian churches, churches like uh, Philippi and and Colossae, uh, if I'm getting my geography right. We read uh, the example of how they were actually afflicted and yet in their abundance of joy and their severe affliction, Paul says, uh, it overflowed into a wealth of generosity and they actually begged for the favor of partaking in the relief of the saints. So they begged for the privilege, the grace of giving for the relief of the saints. And after this, Paul instructs the Corinthians that they are to give cheerfully. He says, don't give reluctantly or out of compulsion, but give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. So that's the practice. So I would say that although there is no clear mandate to give a certain percent in the New Testament, there is an expectation that mature followers of Jesus would give financially because it follows the same pattern God has set out for his people. And money is simply one of the most practical ways that God uses to not only test our hearts, but to demonstrate, for us to demonstrate that our treasure is in Christ. Because money is this thing that our society so values and so clings to. And the follower of Jesus has an opportunity to say, I don't cling to it in that way. My treasure is in Christ and the practical act of giving reiterates that every time. Just as tithing under the old covenant was there to cause the people to engage in this joyful intimate worship and also to provide for those in need. It had a dual uh, reference. Just like that, our giving today should cause us to engage in joyful, intimate worship and practically provide for those in our community. So the key here is to look beyond the actual act of giving. That's the key for understanding how giving works, is to look beyond the actual act of giving to what the act points to. Remember how it seems like when we read through this tithe, the physical resources are almost unimportant. Like God just tells them to eat them. It's not like he's using them and saying, you know, for this tithe, go then and sell it, make a profit, make Israel great in that way. They're just consuming it. 
It was pointing to something greater, which was God's desire that they would most desire Him. And for us, money is just money. Christ is our treasure. Money is unimportant. Christ is what is most important to us. So for us, we should see this regular act of giving in the community of God's people as a constant opportunity to demonstrate that Christ is our treasure, that He is what satisfies us. Being in this regular act of giving actually places us, actually helps a posture, kind of like going to the gym and you want to do uh, these all these different workouts to build a solid body. You don't just want to be a pair of walking arms or or chunky thighs and a skinny like you want a well-rounded body in the same way there's all of these christian disciplines that we have that should buff up our spiritual posture and giving is one of the ways that we actually strengthen our posture to sort of get to this place where we have this take it or leave it mentality where we can pray like in proverbs 30 give me neither riches nor poverty but give me my daily bread. That's all. That's all I desire. Now, just as I finish, how does this affect the way we as a community approach giving? We firstly take the same principles that we see in the Old Testament, that this is an act of worship for those within the covenant community. So we are not a charity. We aren't actually a, a, a charity that then requests money. We're not sort of like the Salvation Army that's going to be bringing money in. Uh, giving in our community is for those who are part of the covenant community, who are committed to this group here because money is unimportant. Now, the second principle that we take from the principles we see here uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we don't really hand a bucket around when we're giving, as some churches do. We don't put a slide up and I don't give a three-minute spiel every, every week to sort of give an opportunity for tithes and offerings. Because what's one of the fundamental things we see here? It's supposed to be a joyful time of worship, which I believe is why Paul says, don't do it reluctantly or out of compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. So therefore, we don't want to hand a bucket around and sort of make people feel a bit of, oh, I should be giving now. I don't believe that glorifies God when you are simply compelled to give. But it glorifies God when you give because you've sought out the privilege of giving of your own accord, whether you do that by a, a direct debit into the church account, which is really the only way we don't really take cash or anything like that. But the point is, even that act of actually seeking out the details and saying, hey, I'd love to be in, an, in a regular practice of giving. Can I grab the right details so that I can give? And every week, actually intentionally being thankful and seeking out the privilege of giving, that glorifies the Lord. I hope this is being clear. I realize I'm competing with these magpies here. Usually it's Eliora. But I hope this is clear. 
that the fundamental practice for us as disciples in giving is that we would give our hearts to the Lord and we would so glorify Him. So that's why we as a community want people to own the responsibility of giving. Not for me to hand out the bucket and you kind of reluctantly give it because you feel pressure or lazily forget and then, oh yeah, that's right, I have to give or quickly fill out some slip. It glorifies the Lord when you, out of a pure joy, the same kind of joy that we see in the Macedonian churches, seek out giving. That glorifies the Lord. And I'm totally fine with not talking about it a lot because God doesn't need money. We don't need the money. God will provide for us. What I want is what the Lord wants, which is your hearts given to Him in pure worship. So our foundation, ultimately, just as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper together, our foundation for giving must come from the generosity we see in God Himself where the Father generously gives of His Son on the cross in our place to take our sin upon Himself and our punishment, our just punishment, the wrath of God poured out upon Him. And we see the generosity of our God who gave His Son for us. It's one thing for someone to give an um, really overwhelming gift to someone and that person in need shows a lot of courtesy and asks kindly and says thank you. It's another thing for someone to give an immeasurable gift to someone who shows no regard for them and even spits in their face as they give the gift. And the reality for us is that when God gave up His Son, we weren't there saying, help me, please, please, Lord, help me. We were the ones at the cross condemning Christ, condemning Him to death. Like Romans 5.8 says, in this the love of God is shown. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, not while we were pleasant children that he took joy in giving up his son because we were so lovable. There was nothing lovable about us. And that's the generosity we see that God still gave. He still freely gave of his son and therefore we know how will he not with him freely give us all things. That's the generosity that must be the foundation of this. Otherwise, your giving will always come from immoral motives and desires. But when your giving comes from being confronted by the generosity you see at the cross in the Father lovingly giving up His Son so that we would then be brought into this place of overwhelming generosity, that is the generosity which God then desires for us to have as we then approach Him with this regular act of giving.